resolution uh, is about a harmony line that moves from dissonance to consonance, right? Harmonies can dance and harmonies can amaze us with varied complexities for a little while, but eventually we need them to resolve. We need those harmonies to resolve yeah, because that's important in music. And if you're a writer, a resolution has to do with how you're going to end the story. And so if it's a favorable resolution, technically that's called a comedy, a comedy. If it's an unfavorable resolution, then technically that's called a tragedy. But either way, it kind of needs to resolve, all right? Uh, maybe you're a chemist. So for you, resolution is the separation of a chemical compound back into its simplest parts, all right? And if you're in government, resolution has to do with uh, kind of the determined will of an elect body, a resolution. And, and uh, if you have a laptop or a TV, uh, and that ha resolution has to do with clarity of picture, right? Pixel count and the quality of the image that's produced, resolution. And if you're a preacher, the word resolution has to do with when is he going to finish this sermon? Okay, when's he going to finish this sermon? Land the plane, pastor, land the plane, all right? So resolution, and, and, and so there, it's used in different contexts, isn't it? And, and yet there's this common, um, common themes emerge, like intention, focus, uh, desires, all right? Those things uh, deal with resolutions and and so since I'm a pastor, and we're a church, and we value the Bible, and uh, the vision of our church is passionately pursuing Christ, I want to talk this morning about resolutions that pursue Christ, resolutions that resemble Christ, and thus the title of today's message, Resolved to resemble Christ. Say that with me. Resolve to resemble Christ. That's where we're going today. I want, I want to answer the question, what does the Bible teach us about making and keeping resolutions? What, what is God's Word? What's the Word of God have to say about making and keeping resolutions? Is there wisdom in God's Word about this matter of making and keeping resolutions? resolutions. Is there, is there a way of thinking about God honoring intentions and pursuits? How ought we, as the redeemed people of God, how ought we think about this? How ought we think? And especially, uh, it, it seems to be an apt uh, topic here this morning. So here's what I want to do. Uh, I would like for us to talk first about two extremes to avoid, two extremes. So here's how not to think. Okay, and then, um, and, then, and then I want to learn one big idea to embrace. Two extremes to avoid, one big idea to embrace, and then I want to make some applications. So, so avoid, embrace, apply. That's kind of where we're going today. And, and, and just, just look up here for a minute. Here's why this matters. Here's why this matters. There's a lot of discussion about resolutions that um, deal with the realm of personal improvement, as if, as if the, the individual is the only one affected by his or her uh, resolutions. And as, as we shall see 
um, resolutions have ripples. And resolutions um, uh, deal not only with the one who makes a resolve and keeps a resolve, but to those in that person's life. And so, yes, there's value in personal improvement. And yes, when the leader gets better, everybody else gets better. When the parent gets healthier, then everybody else in the family can get healthier. And so, and, and, and so therefore, what we're going to learn, since we're going to dive into God's Word, it works not just for January 1st, but for March 1st and September 1st and every day of the year. God's Word works every day. Amen. All right. So let's go to work. Let's talk about extremes, two extremes to avoid when considering the making and keeping of resolutions. The first extreme to avoid is being irresolute, being irresolute. So, so an irresolute person is someone who is perpetually, perpetually hesitant about making any resolutions. So they're noncommittal, perpetually perpetually. Maybe they're afraid that by making a commitment, they'll miss out, or they'll miss out on a better option. So they wait perpetually and do nothing. And, and, and that's not a good idea. That's not a good idea, especially when it's a perpetual uh, irresolution. So consider 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. 1 Kings 18, 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go on limping, limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. I have decided to follow Jesus. So, so Elijah challenges God's people to make a decision. Make a resolution starting today whom you will serve. Get off the fence and follow God. If you're not doing what you should be doing, then resolve to do it. If you're not doing what you, uh, if you're doing what you shouldn't be doing, then resolve not to do it. So, so it's not God's will for our hearts to be perpetually irresolute. And the opposite of resolve is indecisiveness. The opposite of resolve is not this wonderful freedom of dependence on God's power. Instead, instead, it's a jellyfish approach to life that kind of just floats uh, with the currents of the times. All right. So, so, so um, Christians ought to be dolphins in the sea of secularism. Right? Uh, consider Romans fourteen, verse five. Romans fourteen, verse five. Paul says, Paul says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Then he says this, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, a little bit about context of Romans 14. Romans 14, it had to do with a multi-ethnic congregation of Christians, and in that multi-ethnic congregation, some of the Christians were Hebrew, and some of the Christians were Greek, and uh, the 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 ethnic Hebrew Christians uh, wanted to celebrate, or at least some of them did, they wanted to celebrate the Hebrew Sabbath and other high Hebrew holy days, all right? And um, some of the Greek Christians said, it's Saturday. It's Saturday. And so Paul gets this question, and Paul says, well, 
Decide. Decide. That's up to your conscience. It's a matter of conscience. So, so whether you think that all days are alike, or whether you think that one day is holier than another, decide. Make a decision. So, so, so what they're talking about here is not even a matter of first importance, okay? But even, even on topics that are not of first importance, Paul says, well, you make up your mind on a matter of conscience, be fully convinced in your own mind about this. Resolve. And don't be squishy. Don't be, don't be mushy milk toast. Okay? So, which, which means strive to worship peaceably with one who has decided differently about an issue of conscience. Okay? So, so be decisive. Just don't be divisive. Okay, so, and then one more verse on this point is Luke 9, 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, there's a definition of resolution right there, you see. He resolved himself to the cross. So, so it's good to be resolution-making people, okay? And not just at the beginning of the year, but throughout the year, all right? Let's avoid the extreme of being irresolute. Now, there's another extreme to avoid, and let's avoid the extreme. So let's avoid the extreme of being irresolute. Let's avoid the extreme of being arrogant, of being arrogant. So, so some find making and keeping resolutions quite, quite easy. Uh, they don't have a problem identifying what the goal is to attain or the problem to solve, and they go after it, and they're just gifted. They're just gifted. And they're so gifted that they forget who has gifted them. And that's James 4, 13 to 17. James 4, 13 to 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And, and yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. <laughs> Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. What's the right thing? The right thing is acknowledge God. So, so, so there, there's something significant about prefacing our resolutions, and not just mechanically with words, if the Lord wills, but with a stated heart conviction. No, if, if the Lord wills, if thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Thy will be done in my heart as it is in heaven. Uh, or, or, or not my will, but thy will be done, Lord. I'm, this isn't false modesty. This is an acknowledgement of reality. 
because the reality is that we serve a God who has the hairs of my head numbered. We serve a God who has my days numbered. God has my days numbered. And this God who has numbered the hairs on my head and who has numbered my days, this God, this God gave me oxygen to breathe. And he's giving me that right now. This God makes the atmosphere such that I can live. This God put me in the USA. I didn't choose to be born in this country. God put me here. He's sovereign. And therefore, I would be wise to subject all of my resolutions to His will. And I would be wise to run my resolutions by Him. God, I, I would like to do this. This is my heart's intention and purpose. And what's your will? Well, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? In light of my past, what's the wise thing to do? In light of my present circumstance, what's the wise thing to do? In, in light of the future, what's the wise thing to do? <laughs> There's a question. What's the wise thing to do? And then, and then if you still need help after asking that question in those ways, then here's another question. You find someone who looks like Jesus, and you go to them, and you say, I'm thinking of this. What do you think is the wise thing for me to do? See, see. Uh, Psalm 37.4 is, is a wonderful psalm verse and resolution for us to consider. How about this? Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Man, if, if that's ever a resolve for us, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Hmm. So, two extremes to avoid. One is avoid being irresolute, and the other is avoid being arrogant. Two extremes. Now let's get to the big idea. Okay. Now the big idea is in a passage of scripture that I want us to consider here for the rest of our time in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. In Second Thessalonians, in the New Testament book of Second uh, Thessalonians, uh, I want us to consider chapter one, verses eleven and twelve. So, so verses eleven and twelve of chapter one of Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians is a sort of theology of resolution making. And here's how it goes. Here it is, First Thessalonians one, eleven and twelve. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Let me just give you some context here. So, so, so Paul planted a house church in the ancient city of Thessalonica. You can read about that in the book of Acts. And immediately at the get-go, the church faced persecution. So imagine planting a church, and then, I mean, right at the church plant, there's persecution 
for following Christ. And imagine the church planter having to flee because the church planter was persecuted for the cause of Christ. That's the Apostle Paul. That's what, ha that's what happened. Paul planted this church in Thessalonica, this house church, this little community of believers, and then he had to leave because he was, he was wanted, and he fled. And, and basically, First and Second Thessalonians uh, are written to encourage this young church, this young new church plant, to endure. So the entirety of both letters are about this issue of encouragement to endure hardship. Encouragement to endure hardship. So in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, in the first couple of verses, there's a kind of a, a traditional greeting, a, a traditional opening uh, greeting to the church. And then, and then uh, what follows is uh, are a couple of verses, 3 and 4, on gratitude to God that their faith is growing. Your faith and your hope and your love is increasing. Persecution has a way of doing that. Persecution, you say, God, I want to grow my faith. Be careful what you pray for because God may put you in situations where you are, your faith is tested and you go through the crucible, and it, but it is for the increase, the growth of your faith. And as a result, these Christians, these new Christians were trusting Jesus more and they were relying on, more and more on the reality of the life Jesus presents and the truth of the gospel. And so they are being faithful in the heat of persecution. They're not seasoned believers. They're not seasoned believers. They're new believers. And their steadfastness is giving the Apostle Paul a reason to boast about them. 2 Thessalonians 1.4 We ourselves boast about you in the churches of God. For your steadfastness. And so, so they're saying, the, the Lord is, is causing these suffering Christians to be steadfast. May God be praised for that. And then in verses 5 through 9, uh, Paul tells of a coming day called the day. And we've learned about this in Hebrews, haven't we? On the day, the day of Christ, Christ will appear. I mean, Christ, will. we will see Jesus. And on that day, Jesus will will appear uh, uh, not as a carpenter, but as king. He will appear as conqueror. He will appear as victor. And he will set this world to rights on the day. And he will be glorified on the day. And, and when he is glorified on the day, Paul says, we, that's we, we will marvel. And on that day, listen, listen, this is a promise. On that day, we will be in awe because we, our response will be, this was true. This is all true. Jesus is king. Jesus is victor. And we belong to him. We belong to him. So, so, so whatever Paul says about resolutions in verses 11 and 12 stands on the rock-solid truth of the day. Whatever else Paul says about resolutions, whatever we're going to learn is truth that stands on promise, the promise of the day, or the, the promise of the appearing of the resurrected and living, living Jesus. It stands on the position of promise. Now we get to verse 11 here. That's why Paul says, to this end, to this end. We always pray for you. You see that? We always pray for you. So stop right there. When it comes to resolutions, when it comes to, to resolutions, pray for one another about them. So make your 
resolutions, prayer requests, okay? Now, um, you'll be invited here in our service to fill out your prayer requests for us to remember, and we remember your prayer requests on uh, Tuesday morning staff meeting, and then in our elders meetings uh, twice a month, we pray for them by name. We pray for your requests, and and so, and we are privileged when we pray about requests that concern your physical body and just and just the challenges and diseases and and health. And listen, we we, we would be no less we would feel no less privileged for us to pray about your resolutions, your resolutions. Some of you are working through a graduate program and you want prayer to finish strong. You want prayer for a resolution, (laughs) okay? All right? And so, yeah, we want to join you in that. And, 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 And yes, some of you are going through physical therapy for the strengthening of your body or you're, you're struggling with the, with the sickness and illness and disease. We want to pray about that. And some of you have some, some target goals for your company, for your business, for your clients that, that you want to, to, to keep this year. And so we want to pray about that. We want to pray about that. We want to pray that God in his will and in his wisdom would give you a flourishing year. We want to pray about that. Some of you have problems that you would like Resolved. We want to pray about that. So we want our resolutions to be prayer requests. Do you see how different the world thinks? See, we, As believers, we want to think differently about our resolutions because we want them to be matters for prayer. And then specifically, look specifically, let's continue on. To this end, we always pray that our God will make you worthy of his calling. So, so my resolutions need to reflect my calling in Christ. My resolutions need to reflect my identity in the Lord Jesus. My resolutions need to mirror the truth of how God sees me. And how does God see me? Oh, Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, you've got to look at Ephesians chapter 1. In, in Ephesians 1, it says that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 1, in Christ we are chosen. In Christ we are holy. In Christ we are blameless. In Christ we are predestined. In Christ we are adopted as sons and daughters. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. If you'll help me, I won't have to work so hard, church. In in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. This is who we are. In Christ, we are heirs according to the resolve of him who works everything by the counsel of his will. In Christ, we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In Christ, the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. Someone says to me, Randy, what's the guarantee that you will persevere to the end? And my response is, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the the guarantee of the day that I will acquire possession, final possession. And, And all of this to the praise of His glory so so listen to me this is who you are in jesus this is who you are in jesus and and this is your calling so so you are not who you say you are and you are not who the world says you are 
You are who Jesus says you are. And that's what Ephesians 1 says. That's your calling. Now, 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 now. Does the quality of your resolutions reflect the reality of your identity in Christ? Does the quality of your resolutions reflect the reality of your identity in Christ? So are they worthy of who you are in Christ? Are are your resolutions worthy? Are Are your resolutions worthy of who you are in Christ? You see, are they? So, so pray, make your resolutions prayer requests, okay? And then make your resolutions that which align with who you are in Christ, your identity in Christ, and then, and then pray that God will powerfully bring to completion every resolution of goodness and every work of faithfulness. Do you see that there? See, that, that, that God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve resolve so there it is resolution resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so god is the subject of these verbs here may god make you worthy may god fulfill every resolve of goodness you see so so paul does not pray that the thessalonians would muscle their way to personal improvement that's not the prayer request. All right. He prays for them, and he prays that God would make them look like the people they are in Christ, and that God would mightily strengthen them, that God would strengthen them to complete every resolve. Every resolve. Resolve. The word, the word means intention. The word means pursuit. And the word also has to do with desire desire so it's the thing that you go after that when accomplished is satisfying okay it's satisfying and that's 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 all compacted in that word resolve resolve and so the resolve of goodness and the work of faith go together because when the resolve is accomplished it becomes a work okay something tangible a result a product Okay, so a faithful work is the result of a good resolution. And it's all brought about by the power of God. So then, so then, so we pray for each other. And we pray for each other's resolutions to this end, to this end, that the name of Jesus Christ is glorified that as a result of my pursuit of Christ-exalting resolutions, his name and his reputation and his fame are amplified. And all of this is done by his power. His power. So that's why Paul says in Colossians 1.29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So Paul acts the miracle of God's empowerment in and through his life and his body. And and, and so what we're seeing here, church, is the mystery of Christianity, the, the mystery of our faith. And it's this, it's this. We live our lives on the strength of another 
we live our lives in the strength of another. We, we walk by faith in the power of someone else. We, we, we are spirit-dependent people. We, we need the Holy Spirit of Christ to do in us and through us what needs done so that God will get the glory, so that God will get the glory, so that Christ will be glorified. But then Paul says this, don't, don't skip without noticing this. It says, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. And then look at the next few words, and you in him, and you in him. So, so Paul says, I want to pray that God will act in such a way that your resolutions will glorify Christ and so that you will be glorified in Christ. That you, what does that mean? That means that you will become someone who resembles Jesus more and more. That's what that means. So, so, so here's getting to our big idea. I told you I was going to give you a big idea. Here, here it is, here it is. God wants us to make resolutions which rely on his power so that we will resemble Jesus Christ. Say that with me. Say that with me. God wants us to make resolutions which rely on his power so that we resemble Jesus Christ. Yeah. So resolve to resemble Christ because, because, church, 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 if you don't look more like Jesus after you have kept your resolutions, what's the point? See, what's the point? Wow, wow, that person kept their resolutions. Yeah, but they don't really look any more like Jesus. What's the point? What's the point? See? Yeah. So res make resolutions which rely on God's power so that we will resemble Jesus Christ, resolve to resemble Jesus Christ, okay? That's the big idea, that's the big idea. So two extremes to avoid, one big idea to embrace. And now let me just get practical with some applications for us. And, and uh, so here's, I, I just wanna make it very practical. A resolve or a resolution can be stated in the language of goal setting or problem solving. I want you to think about that for a minute. A lot of times when we think about resolving, it's usually goal in the language of goal setting, okay? I want to maybe broaden our thinking that, that resolutions or resolve can be in the language of goal setting. It could also be in the language of problem solving. Well, which is it? Well, I decide. See? What? So are you, are you a, do you, think about your heart. Think about how you are wired. Are you are you a goal setter or are you a problem solver? See, which is it? Deep down inside, deep down inside. Are you the kind of person who is energized by setting and keeping goals? Or are you the kind of person who is energized by defining and solving problems? Okay, are you a goal setter or a problem solver? Goal setters talk a lot about goals. Problem solvers talk a lot about problems. Goal setters, goal setters talk about dreams and new hills to climb and new challenges and golden opportunities. Problem solvers talk about uh, realities and following through on previous commitments made last year and, and, and um, uh, 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 controlling the roadblocks and solving problems. Which gives, you, which gives you less stress or less anxiety? Setting and reaching goals or defining and solving problems? Okay? Goal setters ask, where are we going? 
What's our direction? How do we take full advantage of this window of opportunity? What are our goals? Problem solvers are, are oriented by, by problems and challenges. So in a new situation, problem solvers ask, okay, what's wrong? What's broken? How do we fix it? Okay. This is, this, these two issues are really important if you lead others, if you're a supervisor or a boss. And so let me put it this way. If, if you're a boss, are you a goal setter? Um, and are your employees or those who report to you are they problem solvers? Okay. Could this be why there's a disconnect? So, so how can you lead, how can you communicate in a way that shows appreciation for both goal setting and problem solving? Okay. Well, what about in family? If you're a parent, how are your children wired in this matter? Have you thought about that? If, you, if not, then then you'll assume that they're like you, okay? And, and so some, some problem solvers will say about goal setters, oh, you're just dreamers. And some goal setters will say about problem solvers, oh, you're just being too negative. <laughs> See? And wise leadership finds value in both approaches. And, and setting a goal or solving a problem are two ways for good resolutions to become faithful works by the power of God. And if you survey, uh, and I'm just thinking about the Apostle Paul's letters in the New Testament, if you survey the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, you'll, you'll see that he valued both approaches because, because practically every New Testament letter was a problem to solve. And, and within New Testament letters, say like Romans, Paul would often have a goal. I want to go to Spain. I want to go to Spain. See? So, so both constitute good resolves, and both were fueled by God. So, so here's the application question. What problem-solving activity is worthy of Christ's energy? Remember how Paul said, to this end I toil, laboring with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. So what problem-solving activity is worthy of Christ's energy, or what goal-setting activity is worthy of Christ's energy? Okay. Now, uh, Don Whitney is professor of spiritual formation at Southern Seminary in Louisville, and um, so he actually preached here once, years ago, and um, so he proposes a series of questions to, to focus our thinking here. So I want to give you seven questions. And, and so I want you to think about maybe which question resonates with you that you can, and, and so some of these questions are goals to set and some of them are problems to solve, all right? So, so number one, what one fulfilled goal or solved problem would increase your enjoyment of God? What would... What would make you happy in God? Remember that psalm that we talked about earlier? Delight yourself in the Lord. What, what fulfilled goal or solved problem would, would increase my delight of God? What would make me happy in God? And um, so in the 19th century, a pastor named George Mueller uh, preached in Bristol, England. And so he had a life resolve. And this was his life, this was his this was his big picture, big idea, life resolve, and, and it was this, it was this. I want to live a life and lead a ministry in a way 
that proves God is real, God is trustworthy, and God answers prayer. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. Uh, I, I just want to. I just want to live a life and lead a ministry such that proves God is real, God is trustworthy, and God answers prayer. And 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 and, and those were big picture resolves, especially. He pastored a church for, I don't know, over 60 years. And then he also uh, um, took care of uh, and, and, and fueled the funding of orphanages and just made it. He was a difference maker in his life. And you say, so how, 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 was, how do you do that? How do you do that? And this was his response. This was his response. He said, these are his words, above all, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. That's how I do it. I see that my soul is happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims on your attention. But I desperately and deliberately repeat, it is of su supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business in your life. So the most important business in life was, wasn't growing a big church or wasn't it making sure every single uh, one of, of the children in the orphanages that he led uh, were, were fed. I mean, that, those were important, but the most important thing was he was the most important business was to see that his soul was truly happy in the Lord and then and then that begs the question well how, how how do you do that and this is what he wrote this is what he wrote I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word of God and to meditation on it he wrote he wrote what is the food of what is the food of inner man what is the food of inner man he says it's not prayer and it's not that prayer is unimportant, it, but his, his, in his mind, the food of inner man is the word of God, the word of God. And he said, not just the simple reading of the word of God, but I mean uh, the, 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 the pondering of it. Now, don't just, let, don't just let the word of God pass through your mind like a water passes through pipe. He says, just you ponder it, you read it, you meditate on it. And so, so Mueller would say, it's more important for you to take 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12 and just meditate on that all week long and meditate it and meditate and ponder it and ponder it. Just that's more important than, than, than to read 10 chapters, you know. Uh, I mean, you just focus on that and apply that and, 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 and get your soul happy in the Word of God. Yeah, that's number, that's number one. Number two is this. Number two is this. What is an impossible prayer that you can pray? What's an impossible prayer that you can pray? It, uh, uh, what is a but God prayer? Romans 5, 8 reads, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, so, so situations that were humanly impossible are transformed by those two key words, but God but God. So what's a but God prayer that you can pray for the coming year? Does that resonate with you? What, what might that be? So number three, what here, what time of day would be best for you to pray with your spouse? What time of day would be better? If you're married, what time of day would be best for you to pray with your spouse? And I want to challenge, I want to challenge the husbands in our church here to, to take initiative in the answer to that question. 
to pray with your spouse. Pray with your spouse. And, and so, and you know what? You may say, I don't know what to pray about. Yeah, well, you got Psalm 37.4, right? <laughs> God, help my marriage delight in you so that you will give the desires of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Start there. Start there. Start by praying scripture with your spouse, all right? Number four, number four. What spiritual discipline do you want to make progress in this year? What spiritual discipline would you like to make progress in this year? Is it, is it fasting? Is it fasting from technology? Huh? Yeah, yeah. That, that means not only just silencing your phone, but turning it off. Turning it off. Is it Bible reading? Is it Bible reading? Is it anonymous generosity? Anonymous generosity. Huh? So anonymous generosity is where we put God in charge of our public relations department. And, and so we're just going to be anonymous in our generosity. Maybe it's a missions trip. Maybe it's, maybe it's silence. Silence. What would that be like to just have, you know, 45 seconds of silence? Let's try that. Go. Question number five. What's the single biggest time waster in your life? And how can you redeem the time? How can you redeem it? So what is it you need to say no to so that you can say yes to something else? What is that? Number six. What's the most helpful new way that you could strengthen your church family? So, so how could... The church community be stronger this year because of you, because of Christ in you, the hope of glory. If we don't accomplish the vision that Christ has given us to become a passionately pursuing community of believers who put Christ first and serve Christ and love Christ and, and go after Jesus, if, if we don't, if, if we don't, if we fail in that, it's not because we don't have enough gifts, because God has endowed this congregation with giftedness and with strengths and so how can we be stronger because of god's gifting through you god's power through you where where who do you who can you serve this year all right what about giving tithing what about praying maybe it's like okay you know what we're ready to go to starting point we want to formally join the church it's coming up in february all right uh take a look at our ministry catalog uh, we've got plenty of copies everywhere throughout the foyer and um, are you ready to get into a small group? Maybe you say, well, you know, we, we have the capacity, we could start a small group, and so that would be wonderful. We'd like to know about that. Maybe it's connecting with others on Wednesday night. Our Wednesday night uh, program is going to be starting here uh, a week from Wednesday, and so uh, maybe it, it's getting our 
students involved and then and then uh, taking advantage of one of our elective classes that are going to be offered and you can read about all of those here in uh, this booklet here that I encourage you with so um, and then question seven and 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 this is something for all of us whose salvation will you pray for most fervently this year so who so you've decided to follow Jesus but who do you want to pray for who will follow Jesus this year who would who would you like to see accept Christ this year? Who would you like to see in this baptistry? Who would you like to baptize this year? Oh, that'd be wonderful, see? So the value of these questions are not in their profoundness, but their focus. And, and biblical resolutions require biblical diligence. Proverbs 21.5 says that the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. So biblical resolutions require biblical diligence and biblical resolutions require dependence on Jesus who said clearly and plainly in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So, so we've talked about extremes. We've talked about a big idea to embrace resolutions that resemble Christ and then we've given some application and so it's now it's time for me to resolve the sermon land the plane and here's what I want to say before I sit down what would our church look like as a church as a corporate community if we were resolved to live out the reality that we are an embassy of heaven that is who we are you if, you, if you're here and you're new and you're saying, who are you? We're an embassy of heaven. We are an outpost of the coming kingdom of Christ. We, 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 we do not seek the city that is passing away, but we seek the city that is coming. And, and so our reality influences our affections and our desires and our resolves. And as an embassy, we resolve to draw near to God. To draw near to God. We learned that in Hebrews, didn't we? As an embassy, we resolve to draw near to our confession of faith, what the, the, the historic orthodox doctrine of Christianity. And uh, we resolve to that. Because, you see, it's revealed truth. It's not constructed truth. Okay. We draw near to God, we draw near to the confession of faith, and we draw near to one another without wavering, not neglecting the gathering but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. See, see, listen, listen, five, not five minutes after you die, you're going to marvel at Jesus Christ, and you're going to say, it's true, <laughs> he's true, he's, he's true, it was all true, it was all true. And here's the beauty of it all, we don't have to wait until then. We draw near to God because God has drawn near to us, because we were the resolve of Christ. We were the goal to the praise of God's glory. Christ's goals are about us. And his goals were about glorifying his Father and rescuing his people. And he did not come to be personally fulfilled. He came to give himself. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And he did that for us. He did that for me. Christ's resolution was to love selflessly and sacrificially. And now his resolution is to love my family and my friends and my colleagues and my church and my enemies through me. 
through me. And I don't have enough years to waste that resolution. So whatever we do, whether in word or deed, let's resolve to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him.